So, uh, yeah, every night Nancy and I pray for Quincy, and uh, I know many of you do. <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's take a moment to pray. I, I think that she's on her way home. She's home, and uh, hopefully that's the last uh, chemo that she's had to go through. So let's pray for Quincy and for the Scullys. So. Oh, Lord, what a beautiful picture of a mother who's caring for her child. So we do, Lord, we lift up Quincy to you. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen her, uh, heal her, give Courtney and Jeremiah and the rest of their family the strength that they need, they will continue to need through this whole time. We pray that we would see your goodness through this, that you would continue to comfort and heal Quincy. We'd see your hand of grace on her. We do pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are uh, continuing a uh, series on the Lord's Prayer, and it fits really well with uh, today, um, and being Mother's Day, and so we're just going to jump right into it, actually. So let's, uh, we're going to start at Matthew chapter 6, if you want to follow along in a Bible, or the words will be up behind me. Here's what Jesus says. It says, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So today we'll look at this first line of, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So honestly, it's a little bad timing on Mother's Day to be looking at a phrase of our Father. Um, there's a group of us that put sermon series together and kind of plan out how we'll do this. And honestly, about a week ago, we said, oh my goodness, we are looking at our Father on Mother's Day. So, um, but here's the truth, that, that what Jesus means by this is not to rem to in any way, to teach that God is male. Okay, I hope that we, we, we know that. I mean, a lot of times, honestly, we think of God, what picture in our mind is a male figure, but there is nothing in Scripture that says that God is male. 
I know a few of you are thinking, oh, Don is not, he's wrong. But no, let's look at this, okay? So here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. That the image of God is male and female. So that when the question is, is God male or female, the right answer is yes. Good, good. We're getting this. That's good. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13, the Lord says this about himself. He says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. That the Lord, at times in Scripture, takes on qualities of a female, of a mother. So what we just watch of Courtney with her child, that can be a picture of God with us. That God is male and female. And that when he talks about our father, it's not about male or female. This is a picture of intimacy. That when Jesus says, this is how you should pray, our father, it's a picture of a beautiful intimacy that God desires for us to have. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as a father only seven times. In the Gospels, Jesus refers to God as Father 70 times. So what Jesus wants us to get by this is that there is a great intimacy. He doesn't say pray um, our king, which it's true, he is our king. He doesn't pray our creator, which that's true of who God is for us. He doesn't even say pray our friend, which is true of God too. He says pray our Father, and it's a picture of this beautiful intimacy we can have with God. In fact, what Jesus is doing is he's comparing the way other people pray with those of us who are Christians should pray, right? Up in verse 7 of what we just read, it says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Now, oftentimes when we think of pagans, we think of irreligious people. We think of people that want nothing to do with God. And yet what Jesus is saying here, what he's saying is that there are religious pagans. There are religious pagans who pray. And he's, com he's comparing the way they pray with the way we as Christians should pray. And in the Old Testament, there's a really great picture of how pagans pray. It's found in uh, 1 Kings 18, uh, and it's about um, Elijah, and he's going against 450 prophets of Baal. And it's this beautiful, I don't know if you remember this setting, but it's like, let's figure out whose God is really God. Is it the God of, the, of Baal, or is it my God of Abraham? And he says, okay, let's have a little competition. And so there's 450 against one. And he says, okay, you guys, set up an altar, put your uh, offering on the altar, and begin to pray, and who, if, when you're God... If your God is God, he'll come down and, and the fire will consume it. And it says that the pagans went on and on and on and on in their prayers. And nothing happens. 
on and on and on with their words and nothing happens. They begin to cut themselves with spears and swords and they're bleeding and it says as they would usually do. So it's something they're just trying to get their God to answer anyway and they keep on praying and praying and praying and nothing happens. And Elijah's kind of like, well, hey, maybe your God's asleep or maybe he's in the restroom or something like that. He says these things to him. And so then he says, okay, now it's my turn. He says, hey, you know what? Here's my altar. Here's the thing I'm going to offer. Let's pour some water on it. So they just keep pouring water on it, water on it, water on it, all over the place. And then Elijah just goes, Lord, you're the God of Abraham. You're my God. Bam, the fire comes down and consumes it. The comparison is between the gods or the people that babble on and on into their prayers and our God and how we respond. And Jesus is saying that there are two ways we can re- look at God and, re- and look at him and think how we re- uh, react with him. It's either a business way or a family way. Business way versus family way. There's two ways to pray and two ways to relate to God. Business way, uh, first thing is it's transactional, whereas family way is relational. Business is, hey, I do something for you and you do something for me. I've got something you need, and we pay, and we kind of interchange and respond back and forth. And that's a lot of ways we think about sometimes prayer is. I pray this, you give me this. But a family way, it's just about relationship. It's not about transactions. The second way that they're different is uh, business is conditional. Family is unconditional. Yeah, in a business, it's you did something for me, or you worked, and I give you a wage, and it works. But in family, it should be unconditional. And again, I'm going to just say that no family is perfect in all of this, okay, right? We're not all perfect, but this is a way a family can and and should work. The um, business thing is what you have. Family is who you are. Business way is if you perform, you're accepted. Family is since you're accepted, you perform. Isn't that great? That business is, hey, if you do a certain thing a certain way that I like it, then maybe you'll get something in response. But with family, it's like you're accepted already. And because of that acceptance, now you live differently. If you were to think of this in terms of housing, business is you're a border, family is you're a child. Right? We can have Airbnbs where we bring people into our homes and, and then we for a contract and they... Yeah, they're going to get it to stay for a certain number of nights, and then they're uh, going to pay us a certain amount, and our response is that we'll help take care of you, and we'll clean the room and all that, and you'll leave the room in a good setting. But it's, it's a border, not a child who is a part of my family who's in my home. And so if you're a border, then the last thing in a business is that you are be my landlord. If you're in a family, it's be my father. It's a really great question to ask yourself. How am I responding to God? Do I, do I respond to God like he's a landlord? Or do I respond to him as a father? You see, uh, the pagans prayed and they babbled on and on. And the word for babbling can mean empty or cold or impersonal or even anxious words. The words that come in a family are words that are warm and confident and personal. There's such an interesting difference between are you doing functioning in a business setting or a family setting. 
And it makes a difference in how you pray. So I read an uh, illustration in a book this week. So imagine you go out to uh, dinner with your family. And you're there at the dinner table and the server comes up and takes your order. And again, it's a business transaction that's happening there. You're giving their orders. They go back and they get the food. They bring it out. They put it out there and they put it there on and they're serving everybody. And they go, oh, I really like what you ordered, Paul. That's really good. Can I have a bite of that? I mean, and you're like, no, you can't have a bite of my food. I mean, you're, you're crossing a border, a line, right? It's a transaction, it's business. But if Caleb's next to you, he says, Dad, I really like what you ordered. Can I have a bite? You say, of course. That was not planned, but thank you. <laughs> but it's just a very different relationship between how you look at God and how we look at our relationship with him. Is it just business or is it family? And a really important way to tell how you're functioning, whether it's business or family, is how you respond to unanswered prayer. Because let's be honest, when we pray, a lot of the time, we have a pretty good idea how God should answer it. Right? We do. Heal this person. Provide for me here. Help me get into that school. Do what We, we, we kind of know before we pray, and as we're praying, God, this is kind of, I know the answer here. And when we don't get the answer that we think we should get, and it's a business transaction that we think we're having with God, it's like, well, wait a minute, God. I've done so much good stuff for you. I've prayed in so many different ways for this. I've done everything you've asked me. Why have you not responded the way I felt like you should? But if it's a family setting, it's, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you. I know you love me. I know you're my father but I will just trust you. And so it's a really interesting thing to think, what way are you relating to God? Do you relate to him as a father or more of a, of a uh, landowner? How do you relate to him? And here's what I want us to see here from this little statement that Jesus says, our father it shows that we are children of God, and we are children of God through this incredible theological truth called adoption by God. That God has adopted us into his family. That we, because of sin and because of brokenness and because of the world that we live in, because of who we've been, we are actually start out as children of wrath, but by God's great mercy and his love and his forgiveness, we become children of God. And so as children of God, we truly can come before him and say, our Father. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, right at the beginning of John's gospel, it says this about Jesus. It says, yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. 
that you were given the right to become children of God. You were adopted into God's family. It's when, when there's an adoption that happens, it's nothing that the kid has done to make that happen. It's all what the parents have done to bring that child into their family. And the same is true for us. That God has brought us into his family, that he has adopted us into his family. Paul writes about adoption in, in Romans chapter 8. He says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba, Father, is this, is this word of greater intimacy even. It's kind of like this phrase of Daddy, that that's how you can relate to God. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, we are chosen by God and become a part of his family, and our status changes. We have all the rights and privileges and even obligations of a child in a family now. And so it's not about having a business transaction with God. It's about experiencing what it's like to be in his family with him. And so Jesus says that we are to pray our Father because of the intimacy that we are to experience with him. And then he goes on and he says, We pray our Father in heaven. And here's the beauty of this, I believe, is that not only is there this intimacy that we are to have by calling him our Father. But there also is this incredible power that's available because he is in heaven. Now, in the study guide, I know that John Ortberg, we have a quote from him in there that talks about that the heavens can mean atmosphere and air and all that. And I do believe that that is true, too, that this is about the intimacy. But I also believe that this really does mean that, no, God is close to us because we call him our Father. But he is in heaven because he is holy and powerful and he's great and he's glorious. That when we come before our Father in that relationship, we know that we are coming to someone who is powerful, someone who is incredibly loving, somebody who can act in where the situations that we're in, that he's glorious and he's great, and that that is who God is. I get a little nervous sometimes this, in, when I'm in a prayer group, and this hasn't happened for a long time. This is probably when I was in college, which is a long time ago. But, um, but when someone would be praying and they'd go, oh, Daddy, you're just so cool. And I just am so excited to be your child. And, you know, and things like, but this is the God of the universe you're praying to. Yes, there's intimacy, but let's give him the respect that he deserves for who he is too. And I think that that's what Jesus is saying here. Our Father in heaven, that's who he is. And then as children, our first response, because of who we are in relationship with him, because of who he is, is to praise him. It's the first thing we're called to do. It's the first thing Jesus calls us to do in prayer. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John writes, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 
It says, see what great love. It's hard to even def- to, uh, to translate the word that's there, but it's really this love that is from a different world. It's a love that isn't even known in our, just in our ways. That God's love for us is foreign to anything we can experience even here on earth. And John says that this is the type of love that he's lavished on us and that we are children. And and so so the prayer continues, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We We don't use hallowed very often, do we? Right? I mean, when was the last time you actually used hallowed in a conversation with somebody? And yet... Almost every translation of the Bible in modern English still uses this word because it's such, a, it's such a deep word. It's such a strong word, right? It, it means to treat something or somebody as sacred or ultimate. That something is sacred, set apart, and ultimate, that there's nothing greater than this. There could be nothing greater or more important than in my life than what I hallowed. And Jesus says, this is how you should start to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There is nothing greater than you. And then that changes the rest of the prayer. It changes then how you ask. It changes how you look at forgiveness. Because you begin with this just beautiful, I just need to praise your name. So how do you know what you hallowed? And this was an interesting thought that um, I think it was Tim Keller in his sermon said. It, you know what you, what's most important and what's ultimate is what do you think about when you don't have to think about anything? What is it that pops into your head? Is it about having more money or having a better position or being more comfortable? Or is there a thought about how great God is? Is there a thought about, oh my goodness, God is so good to me? What do you think about when you don't have to think about anything and, and he talks about how that we should have a secret praise life that no one else knows about. That just as we go through our day, we hallowed God in our thoughts. And then when we don't have anything we have to do, he's the first thought that will pop in. How great are you, God? How powerful are you, God? I am so thankful to be your child. That's what this first line of this prayer brings us to. And so Jesus, he begins to teach us about prayer by reminding us that prayer is first and foremost about relationship with God, who is a good father to us. He is a good mother to us. That he meets us at our deepest needs. And that prayer should be experienced in terms of a family atmosphere. And I'm sitting before my father, sitting with my mother, whatever phrase, whatever image is best, but they are as incredible love. 
there's warmth, there's acceptance, and that that ultimately leads us to this place of praise. So let's just pray this first line together and just pause for a moment. And I hope as we pray it that you will be reminded of how great God is. So let's just do the first line to start. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Can you start your day that way each day? When you're walking into a tough situation, can that be the first line you think about that prayer? Let's pray the whole prayer together, starting from the top again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May that be true of us, that we know our God as a Father, that we know Him so well that we desire only to lift Him up, and that we would truly hallowed His name. And so as we go into a time of just praising God at the end here, I pray that this is what will draw you to praise, of knowing how good your Father is for each one of us.